History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 381st episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we have our first ever haunted truck stop. Awesome. And I can imagine that many truck stops, let it be the bathroom or otherwise, may be haunted. That is true. Especially the bathrooms. But I would prefer to stop at a truck stop restroom than a gas station restroom. Well, absolutely. I'm in agreement on that. <laughs> this one is located on the old historic Route 66. It's the Tri-County Truck Stop. Before we get into that, though, we have some people to welcome into the Spooktacular crew. Well, a lot of people. Kelly, usually we average about 12 people coming into the Spooktacular crew every week. We've gotten up into the 20s lately in the last few weeks. But some kind of Facebook algorithm clicked into us, and we've had a ton of people coming into the Spooktacular crew. We have, which we're very thankful for. But how fast can you read? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I want to thank our moderators. They've been doing a bang-up job helping us to get people welcomed in there because we try to make sure it's an individual thing for everybody to get their own special welcome. And we also want to thank our members in there for being so welcoming to people, too. I know having a ton of people to welcome can get a little repetitive and fill up the feed. But thank you for being so welcoming. Yes, we definitely appreciate it. We want to welcome in Melissa, Darren, Alex, Patricia, April, Spooky Gals Corner, Alyssa, Nancy, Keith, Craig, Brad, Angie, who spells her name with a J and an I, Sue, Pat, Whiskerati, Grace Ann, Nessa, Oceane, Laura, Andrea, Jan, Kostoff, and I hope I said that right, Caitlin, who spells her name with an A-I, Lynn, Nancy, Jeannie, Priyanka, Denise, Linda with a Y, Theodore, Andrew, Eric, Diane, great name there, Marcus, Wendy, Louie, who spells his name with two E's, Nancy, who spells her name with an S-E-A at the end, Beth, John Michaels, who has suggested a lot of our moments in oddity. Thanks for coming into the crew finally, John. Anthony, Deirdre, Samantha, Kristen, Denise, who spells her name with two N's and two S's, Veronique, Andy, Jennifer, who spells her name with an E in the middle, Chad with two D's, Jennifer B, Lisa, Catherine, Maureen, and Kelly. Another fabulous name. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us in the crew, everyone. And now, this moment in oddity. Have you heard of the two kings who ate themselves to death? Many are aware that there was a time when kings had official food tasters. These poor people were not there to make sure the food tasted good. They were tasting the food to make sure it wasn't poisoned. But what to do when the food isn't technically poisoned and yet could kill the king? King Henry I of England found out. This man absolutely loved sea lamprey. First thing you need to know about these fish is that they are tough enough to have survived four extinction events. They are also known as the vampire fish. 
They feed in the ocean by latching onto other fish and sucking their blood and other bodily fluids. They need to be cleaned really well before eating. And even then, we wouldn't risk it. But King Henry didn't care. He stuffed himself full of sea lamprey one night in 1135 and soon was dead from food poisoning. Our other unlucky king was King Adolf Frederick, who ruled Sweden in the 18th century. This guy didn't know when to stop when he was eating fine food. On February the 12th, 1771, he ate a meal of lobster, caviar, sauerkraut, smoked herring, cabbage soup, and slammed it down with some champagne. Then came the dessert, which was semla. This rich dessert is a bun filled with hot milk and marzipan, which is a mixture of ground almonds and sugar. King Frederick had 14 servings of that, and his intestines said, no, sir. He apparently died a very painful death. Two kings eating themselves to death certainly is odd. This history podcast is haunted. And now, this month in history. In the month of April, on the 7th, in 1933, beer was sold again in 19 of the 48 states and the District of Columbia. This was the day that beer flowed again. And for that, Kelly and I are grateful because we've become quite the craft beer connoisseurs. But there was a time when no alcohol flowed in America because of prohibition. This banning of alcohol had lasted 13 years, but President Roosevelt had made a campaign promise to get rid of prohibition, and after he was elected, he did just that on March 22, 1933. And at one minute after midnight on April 7th, train whistles, sirens, and fire alarms went off across the East Coast, signaling that 3.2 beer could be made, sold, and consumed. Pabst Brewing Company was one of the first to fire up their brewery again, and employees and onlookers cheered as they loaded cases and barrels of beer onto trucks. In some cities, crowds gathered outside bars 12 deep. Two cases of beer were delivered to the White House aboard a truck that had a sign on the outside reading, President Roosevelt, the first real beer is yours. Route 66 was once known as the Main Street of America, and is still affectionately referred to as the Mother Road. It's hard to believe this highway was once thriving with a host of businesses because now many of those businesses are closed and abandoned. One of these locations was the Diamonds, which started as a fruit stand, then became a restaurant, and eventually a truck stop named the Tri-County Truck Stop that also had rooms to rent. The location is now closed and abandoned, except for on certain nights when ghost hunts are offered. Many claim that this is the most haunted truck stop in the Midwest, and perhaps even in the country. Join us as we explore the history and haunts of the Diamonds. Hey, Kelly, get your kicks on Route 66. That was written by Marine Captain Bobby Fuller and first recorded by Nat King Cole in 1946. Did you know that? I did not. I had no idea it was written by a Marine. Pretty cool. 
Route 66 winds its way through eight states, Illinois, Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Gallup, New Mexico, Flagstaff, Arizona, don't forget Winona, sorry. <laughs> wow, I'm impressed. Kingman, Barstow, San Bernardino. Wow, look at you go. You have somebody singing with you as well. I just want to let everybody know yeah. who's tuning in. We've got a pretty good thunderstorm and rainstorm going and Savia is outside of the area where we're recording and she's not very happy about that. So you may hear her in the background whining and crying a little bit. Yeah, poor puppers. Yeah. It is fitting that we are featuring a stop along Route 66 in the month of April because it was in this month that two businessmen came up with the idea of naming the new route from Chicago to Los Angeles Route 66. John T. Woodruff was from Springfield, Missouri, and Cy Avery was from Oklahoma, and so Springfield has been recognized as the birthplace of the infamous Mother Road. Route 66 would officially be established on November 11, 1926. When the highway was finished, it covered 2,448 miles. This was not only an original highway in the U.S. highway system, it was the path to a better life for many people as they migrated west during the Dust Bowl. This also helped people living in rural areas to get their crops to market. And since the road was mostly flat, much of the commerce via trucks preferred to travel it. Life was good for business along Route 66, but by 1985 it was removed from the highway system. Parts have been designated a National Scenic Byway, and in 2026, Route 66 will celebrate its centennial. Very cool. And we actually have a listener and member of the Spooktacular crew, Jim Featherstone, who is a big fan of Route 66. He has his own website about that, and he shares all kinds of information about it. And he has this great shirt that actually is, I think, the first centennial shirt that they've made for Route 66. Yep, so cool. There are literally hundreds of ghost stories connected to Route 66, and many books have been published featuring those. For example, the town of Quapaw in Oklahoma is the first town you will hit when driving out of Kansas into Oklahoma. This city is known as America's hay capital and has spook lights that have been seen, particularly by truckers driving at night, and that has led to some claiming that this stretch of Route 66 is cursed. That's not the only ghost light along Route 66. The Joplin ghost light has been seen near the Missouri-Oklahoma border. Truckers claim to see this ball of light on clear nights, and it seems to dance on the horizon. The light has been seen for decades, and cars have been parking along Oklahoma's East 50 Road to get the best glimpse of those ghost lights since the 1960s. Along this road in Missouri, the Diamonds was founded. The Diamonds was located in Villa Ridge, Missouri, about 40 miles west of St. Louis, right off of Highway 44. Villa Ridge was founded in 1889 with the establishment of a post office. The name is pretty simple. There's a ridge nearby, and Villa means town. So there you get Villa Ridge. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the Diamond started as a fruit and veggie stand that eventually became a restaurant owned by Spencer Groof, a young law student with big dreams. And when I first saw his name, I kept thinking Goof. I thought Groot. 
Oh. Groot. Very similar. Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. The name for the restaurant came from its design, a baseball diamond. This would become the eating place and the meeting place with over 75 employees and the nickname the Old Reliable Eating Place. That Just, really sounds like a restaurant I want to go. <laughs> it's the Old at. Reliable. It's the Old Reliable Eating Place. <laughs> you won't be getting food poisoning here. <laughs> There were three U-shaped lunch counters serving up great American fare like hamburgers and pot roast. Groove owned the property across the street as well, and he put in a Phillips 66 gasoline station and 25 cabins that he rented overnight. The Diamonds was open 24 hours and business was great, serving over a million people a year until 1948 when a fire destroyed the building. This did not detour Groove. He rebuilt with an Art Deco architectural style, and the place did even better, with lots of celebrities stopping in for the food. These celebrities included Al Capone, if you could call him a celebrity, Elvis Presley, and Marilyn Monroe. The interstate system caused Route 66 to get less and less traffic, and once it was decommissioned, the Diamonds decided they needed to move, and they did so two miles east in 1967. Another restaurant moved in called the Tri-County Restaurant and Truck Stop in 1970. Truckers were still using Route 66, and they were the main customers until other truck stops were built along the interstate and pulled them away. Since the truck stop was 24 hours, it started attracting late-night eaters like the bar crowd who would show up in the wee hours of the morning for food. Kind of sounds like a Denny's. That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) That's where we always went after the bars closed. To make more money, the truck stop decided to renovate the second floor into hotel rooms and offered overnight rentals and showers. The takers were mainly women plying sex and random hitchhikers. This crowd brought crime and violence with them. In September of 2006, the truck stop closed its doors for good. The location hasn't been left abandoned, though. Paranormal investigators have been visiting since then, and they have found plenty of evidence to back up the stories that employees and patrons had been sharing for years. There were claims that objects like salt and pepper shakers would levitate and sometimes even move from one table to another. At least the ghosts are a bit helpful, Kelly, making sure everybody gets their condiments and stuff. I'd love to see that. I would, too. I'd <laughs> Floating be like, pepper shaker. Bring it over here. <laughs> <laughs> the appliances in the kitchen would turn themselves on and off. People were touched by things that they couldn't see. And sometimes they would see those things that touched them in the form of shadow figures or full-bodied apparitions. There were claims of weird sounds and disembodied voices. Probably the weirdest and maybe even most horrifying claim is that children have claimed to see a bloody monster on the stairs. Some have even described that this monster, which is more than likely a man, has a knife and that it climbs the stairs to the second floor where there is a woman that it stabs and kills. We're not sure why this has only been witnessed by children, but how horrible. And blood was actually found on the wall after the children reported the sighting. They never tested it, but there was some kind of red residue on the wall. A full-bodied apparition of a man would be seen in the dining room area wearing khaki pants and a checkered shirt. And a shadow figure has climbed up the stairs from the basement and gone into the kitchen area. Another spirit has been named George, and he likes to get friendly with the ladies by stroking their arms or patting them on the back, which we hope is just their back and not the backside. Most former employees claim that the basement and second floor are the places with the most activity and were to be avoided as much as possible. The investigative group Paranormal Task Force were the first group to investigate the truck stop. They did so back in August of 2006, and I actually don't think it was quite closed yet. It may have just closed recently. 
It didn't take long for them to realize that they were not the only ones in the building. A coffee pot flew across the room and crashed to the floor. Greg Myers, the president of the group, said, On the first night, we were setting up a camera on the second floor. I was holding a door shut, and something was trying to open it from the other side. We were actually fighting back and forth. Can you imagine? Yeah, that's quite unique. Yeah, that coffee pot is not the only thing that got thrown at them. A light bulb was also thrown at the group. Greg asked aloud if the group was welcome, and a bunch of pots and pans banged and rattled, and they caught this on audio that you can hear at their website, paranormaltaskforce.com. They also managed to capture on video a blue phosphorescent anomaly, and they saw a full-bodied apparition of a man wearing a flannel shirt in the men's bathroom. I've seen a still photo of that blue phosphorescent anomaly, and if it is legit, it is a weird picture. Does it look anything at all like the blue light that I saw and then caught with my camera? The exact same coloring. Just imagine it the size of a human form. Oh, wow. So it, it has the exact same kind of light blue bright tone to it, but it's as if it's about human sized. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. And this is back in 2006. So, you know, I mean, there's things that you can manipulate on the computers and stuff back then, but it's not as easily done as it is today. They have a bunch of EVP on that website as well that they captured inside the truck stop. One of the best features a very loud and clear what I would call a class A EVP. And I'm going to go ahead and play that for you guys right here. It's not the same as when we came back here before, is it? And I'm going to go ahead and play it again. It's not the same as when we came back here before, is it? So clearly, Kelly, you're hearing there it's saying, help save me. And I believe, Kelly, they just caught that on a recorder. I don't think it was a, a spirit box or anything. So it's really mechanical sounding. It is really interesting. Activity continued throughout the night for the paranormal task force, and they reported many similar experiences as the former employees. The investigators heard disembodied voices and whispers, and they were touched by the spirits. There was a loud banging noise like a door being slammed shut three times. That number three makes this even more unnerving. There were multiple EMF spikes and anomalies. And that spirit that has been seen in the dining room with the khaki pants was seen in the men's bathroom by an investigator. The guy who saw it was actually the brother of the owner, and he claimed that he heard a dragging or growling noise in the hallway as he stood at the urinal. A translucent male apparition wearing a red flannel shirt and khaki pants walked in and then disappeared. He was so shocked by what he was seeing, he didn't even notice that he had turned and was peeing on the floor. <laughs> now that sounds like a real legitimate experience. I would say so. Because I could see somebody doing that where you're just like, what was that? You're in the middle. You're just not even conscious of what you're doing. It's like, <laughs> oh, I just peed all over the floor. Oops. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by June's Journey. Hey, Kelly, can you set down your uh, game there for a minute? But I'm almost done with this one. What are you playing? June's Journey. I, I just have one more item to find. Oh, that reminds me. How have you been enjoying the podcast that goes with it? Oh my gosh, I love it. It's so cool to hear all the backstory. 
Yeah, June's Journey, The Lost Diaries, was inspired by Wooga's smash hit hidden object game, June's Journey, that you were just playing right there. I know, and it's so cool to get that follow-up. And what's great about this podcast is it is so immersive that you really feel like you are going back into the 1920s from the 2020s. Definitely. The audio, the foley that goes along with it, the music, I just love it all. The basic premise is Autumn Driver is this 30-something and... She's just looking to get away from it all. And her family has this property out on Orchid Island. And when she gets out there, everything is covered in dust. So she's got to get that all cleaned up. And while she's looking around, she discovers her great-grandmother, June Parker's diary. And this details her adventures as a female detective in the 1920s. There are tales that go back to Prohibition, the trenches of World War I, and the women's suffrage movement. I really love the whole fact that there was a female sleuth documenting all this in her diary back in the 20s. And like I said, it's so immersive, you really feel like you're hanging out with her and watching what's going on. Absolutely. Autumn is voiced by Sarah Grayson, a voice actress who has also been heard on video game hits like Gone Home and Tacoma, and she does an excellent job. She sure does. This is the first narrative mobile game podcast tie-in ever. And if you guys are playing the game and then you listen to the podcast, you're going to get never-before-heard hints about heroine June Parker's life before she became a detective. Listen to June's Journey, The Lost Diaries, for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. I definitely recommend that you check it out. I know we've been loving it. An investigator also managed to capture a white mist in a photograph while in a downstairs bathroom. And I saw that picture as well, and it is a weird-looking white mist. Investigators on the second floor watched a piece of paper turn itself over. Cold spots were felt throughout the building. The nasty smell of decaying flesh would happen occasionally on the second floor, which makes you think if that was something residual, somebody had been maybe murdered up there and left for a while, I don't know, or just died up there. Perhaps. The investigators felt like they were being watched wherever they went. Their equipment would be turned off and then turned back on randomly. And two pennies dated 1957 and 1969 were tossed on the floor while some investigators were conducting an EVP session on the second floor. Dan Terry sent us his book, Missouri Shadows, and in it he details his experience joining the paranormal task force on this initial investigation. Before going, he interviewed a former employee, and she told him that something would watch her every time she went down into the basement. Once, when she was in the restroom, something prevented her from opening the door. She also would hear growling in the basement. She had her hair pulled so hard it unraveled her braid. Dan experienced much of what we described in this first investigation. The group returned a few weeks later, and a really terrifying thing happened. An old knife on the floor was thrown at them. Now that would be enough to get me to leave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would agree. You're going to throw knives at us. Okay, we're done. Exactly. The group returned again and witnessed an orb cross the room and disappear into the wall. When investigators asked the spirits to make themselves known, the pipe started to rattle. A rock was thrown against the back wall, too. Dan saw a shadow figure, and when he blocked its path, it passed right over his head. He reported that a psychic claimed that a woman was murdered in the basement, killing her unborn child and that she, the child, and the murderer were all down in the basement. Again, we have another case where clearly the murderer probably did not die there, but here he's come back. So is this a residual thing? Did he come back to the scene of his crime? Right. And hopefully he's not trapping them there now in the afterlife. I mean, how horrible. 
An investigator named Tim told Dan that he had been slapped and shoved so hard that he would have fallen over if he hadn't been up against a wall. Dan also shared the story of a man named Stephen. His brother Kevin was hired to do security after the truck stop closed, and he lived in a trailer on the property. Both Stephen and Kevin had worked at the truck stop in the 1980s and 1990s. They had experienced George the ghost in the bathroom while working there. One night, Kevin invited Stephen to come over because he felt there was another ghost at the truck stop other than George, and this one was violent. Stephen said he wasn't afraid, and he marched inside. They heard a voice yell, Get out! Stephen ran downstairs because he thought someone was down there. He found no one. Then he went upstairs and opened a door. Immediately after he pushed it open, the door pushed back against him. He forced the door open again, and it slammed against him. He left, but did return later, and his brother asked him to lock the back door. Stephen again heard a loud voice yell, get out, and he was done visiting the place. Can't say as I blame him. Yeah, I I mean, clearly something is telling you it does not want you there. All of these experiences that they're having, I'm getting the feeling this is not a place that likes to be investigated. I don't know. Kind of lends itself that way. Dan was told by another worker named Tina of a time when she was stocking cans in the pantry, putting everything in a certain order. She got called away for a minute. And when she returned, the cans were all mixed up. The ghosts would play with the buffet, according to Tina. They left the hot food alone, but moved the cold stuff all around. Tina never went to the bathroom alone, and she hated the basement. She once went down there for a smoke, and some fellow employees locked the door. I would be pissed. Just saying. I would have been, too. She pounded on the door, and something grabbed her arm and squeezed. She never went into the basement again. Another employee named Daniel witnessed a child's ball bounce down the stairs, and he heard a child's laughter. He thought it belonged to a little girl. There was no child upstairs. The strangest claim is that a Black Panther has been seen in the basement. Where this could have come from, nobody knows, and we aren't sure if Black Panthers would have ever been in this area. Maybe someone had kept one there at one time? I don't know. Outside of the truck stop and down the road a bit, people claim to pick up a hitchhiker who asked to be taken to the truck stop and then he disappears. And people who live near the former truck stop claim that spirit activity spills over to their houses. I wonder to myself, are there any other kinds of ghost stories out there about truck stops? Because this Tri-County truck stop seems to be the only one that comes up when you're looking for that kind of thing. But I did find a story written by Stephen Wagner called The Phantom of the Truck Stop that's over at liveabout.com. And it seems to me like this is something that has shown up on other websites throughout the years, and it claims to be a true story. So I'm going to go ahead and share that with you guys here. I don't know if it is true, but if it is, it's pretty darn creepy. The life of a long-haul trucker is a difficult one. Long, tedious hours on the road, away from family for days or even weeks at a time. As Mike L. explains... They also witnessed many weird and incredible things on their interstate travels. Yet Mike was not prepared for what he experienced one summer night at a tiny truck stop in the middle of nowhere. Hardly the place where one would expect a ghost, if that's what it was. This is Mike's story. I am an over-the-road truck driver, and I drive across all of the lower 48 states. I see some unusual things from time to time, 
but nothing compares to what I encountered in Palestine, Arkansas in mid-June of 2011. I was on a long haul from Detroit, Michigan to Houston, Texas. This was day three of my trip and I was beginning to run out of driving hours for the day. I noticed a truck stop gas station on the side of I-40 pulled off and decided to call it a night. I was running ahead of schedule, so I was going to have myself a long 14-hour break instead of the usual 10. Off the bat, I didn't like the area but had no other choice. The bathrooms were unkempt and had enough graffiti on the walls to classify itself as an inner-city truck stop, even though I was practically in the middle of nowhere. It was also a small shop with parking for only a dozen trucks. After washing up, I purchased a new work knife, some hot food, and headed out to my truck. I sat in the captain's chair and listened to the radio while I ate my dinner with the windows down, letting in the dry wind. The Mississippi River had just begun flooding, but there hadn't been any rain in over a week. The surrounding area was beginning to look like Nevada more than Arkansas. I finished my meal and cleaned up a bit. I slid out of the seat and onto the pavement as a gust of warm wind hit me. I strolled over to the dumpster, tossed my garbage inside, and began slowly walking back to my truck. I fished out a filterless cigarette and leaned against the bug-splattered side of my truck and lit it with my lighter. I enjoyed the smoke as I watched the sun set below the horizon. A few more trucks had backed into spots. I spotted one guy walking out of the store with a bottle of beer in his hand, looking around nervously as he quickly strode over to his truck. The life of a trucker. Something interesting and new every day. Risking his job over one lousy beer. I climbed back into the cab of the truck, dropped back into the sleeper berth, changed into a pair of pajamas and lay down to get some rest. I didn't bother setting an alarm. I felt sleep creep over me and accepted it as I drifted off into dream world. I awoke with the cab of the truck rocking violently, knocking the bottle of water I'd placed on my nightstand over onto the floor. I sat straight up, fully awake, and pressed the button on the truck's radio alarm. It was shortly after three in the morning. I reached down and grabbed the bottle of water that had fallen, twisted the cap off, and took a few deep gulps before wondering what had rocked my truck so violently. Then I remembered the wind. I settled back down, got my heart rate back below 100, and lay my head down on the pillow. The truck rocked again, knocking my ashtray over that I had set in the cup holder, and once again tossing my water bottle onto the floor. I flipped on the overhead light, slid on my shoes, and grabbed another cigarette from my pack. I opened the curtains, sat in the captain's chair, and shut off the sleeper light. I opened the door and noticed that it had cooled down considerably. I shut off the truck, pocketed the keys, and climbed down onto the pavement to look around. At this time of night, the truck stop only had lights around the gasoline pumps, and their light could not reach the truck parking area. I looked around a moment, lit my cigarette, and then noticed something. The wind had stopped blowing. I wondered what had caused my truck to rock so violently. Earthquake, maybe? I knew that a few had been reported around Memphis, and I was probably close enough to have felt a tremor, but that rocking motion did not feel like an earthquake. It felt like the wind hitting the side of my truck with a strong gust. Curiously and cautiously, I walked around the front of my truck to the passenger side and looked down the length of my trailer. I noticed movement, low to the ground about four feet. Not fast. I used my keys to unlock the passenger side door, jumped up and grabbed my large flashlight from an overhead storage compartment. I climbed back down and closed and locked the door. I clicked on the light and shined it down the side of my trailer. There was a young girl standing off into the field about 10 feet behind my truck. But when I looked harder, she wasn't there. Well, like I said earlier, truck drivers see something new every day. This was certainly new. I began to walk toward the rear of my truck, scanning the field with my flashlight for any trace of the girl I had just seen. When I reached the back, there was no trace. Must have been a trick of the eyes. Heck, I hadn't even fully awakened yet. I glanced over my shoulder. There were no cars at the pumps, and the clerk definitely hadn't noticed me. I felt the call of the wild coming on and didn't feel much like walking into the store wearing my pajamas. I was in the middle of nowhere, and no one could see me, so I figured no harm, no foul. 
I stood at the rear of the trailer and did my business, looking around for that girl again, also hoping that she wasn't hiding behind something and watching me do this. I put everything away and walked to the driver's side of my truck toward the cab. I took the last couple of puffs of my cigarette and flung it onto the parking lot, used my keys to unlock the truck, and popped the door open. Just as I planted my foot on the fairing, I heard a distinct giggle. A girl's giggle. I stepped back down and shined the flashlight around. Nothing. This is getting kind of creepy, I said aloud. He heard me, a small girl's voice answered back. I jumped backward away from my truck. The voice had come from inside the cab. Something was wrong. I had the entire truck locked up while I was walking around. There was no way that someone could have gotten in without breaking a window. Stealing myself for what was going to be an uncomfortable encounter at the least, I took a step up on the fairing and leaned my head into the truck. Is anyone in here, I asked. I hit the switch to turn on the sleeper berth light. I climbed in. I put a knee on the seat and peered into the sleeper berth. Good night, a soft voice said, which seemed to emanate from all around me. I flinched as I heard the word and felt a cold chill run through my body. I slid off the seat and stood up in the cab, bumping my temple off the overhead storage bins. I looked around the sleeper. No one was there. I turned around and shuffled into the cab to close the door when I saw the young girl standing outside my truck on the pavement, looking up at me with lifeless eyes. Those eyes, you see, weren't meant for a person. They were designed for a predator, and all of a sudden I felt like prey. I reached forward and slammed the door shut and flicked the lock. I quickly decided that I was not staying here for the rest of the night. I turned the key and heard my truck's motor rumble to life along with the familiar annoying buzzing that was my air pressure gauge telling me that I didn't have enough air to release the brakes. I took a furtive glance out the window and there she stood, still as a tree, looking up at me and smiling. I didn't want to get any closer to the window until I was ready to get my truck moving. This was wrong and I didn't want any part of this. That girl wasn't human, at least not anymore she wasn't. It was almost as if she was something so inhuman that it would take the form of a human. It's hard for me to explain and I feel sick just thinking about it. I heard the siren shut off and hit the valves to supply air to my brake system. As the system began to air up, the siren came on again. Screw this, I thought to myself. I have enough to get out of here. I disengaged the clutch, ground the truck into gear, and roared out of the parking lot like the devil himself was behind me, which for all I knew he was. I looked in my side mirror as I was about to start turning right and saw the girl washed in the red and amber glow of my running lights. She was smiling at me and waving. I flew through my gears as quickly as they would let me as I got back onto the interstate. I drove for about 45 minutes, repeatedly hitting the switch to turn on my interior lights to look around the cab and the sleeper before finally spotting a larger truck stop at the next exit. After backing into the one few remaining spots left, I shut off my lights and turned on the sleeper berth light as I walked into the back, then paused. At the store, I'd bought a souvenir. Nothing fancy, just a postcard with a picture of Arkansas on it. I also had bought a new knife. I'd never even taken the knife out of the box and remembered putting the postcard into a drawer for safekeeping. The point of the blade had been driven directly into the spot on I-40 where I had originally stopped for the night. The blade had been driven in deep, pegging the postcard to my nightstand. It took me several minutes just to work the knife loose enough to withdraw from the nightstand. Thankfully, when I turned the postcard over, no message had been left for me. Oh, my word. (laughs) To this day, I do not know what I saw. I hear other truckers talk of strange things that they see on the interstates, U.S. highways, and state routes, but I've never mentioned my experience. I've always felt that just by mentioning her, I'd walk back out to my truck, and there she'd be, sitting on my bunk and waiting for me. I threw that postcard away and tossed the knife into a dumpster. I got another postcard from Arkansas just to keep the collection going. I've got 36 so far. What a hell of a story. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Is it true or not? 
It sounds that is for you to <laughs> yeah. decide. I mean, it sounds pretty believable <laughs> to me. I could believe it. We don't know if this was a true story, but it sure was a good one. We imagine the possibilities for haunted truck stops are numerous, being that they are such a transient place and some not-so-nice things can happen at them. The Tri-County Truck Stop sits on a property that had a long and good history, but there are definitely some strange things happening there now. Is the truck stop haunted? That That is for you you to decide. decide. And that Paranormal Task Force still hosts ghost hunts there all the time. There's actually one coming up, I think, next weekend. Very cool. And this is April of 2021. So I think it's April 17th, 2021, something like that. So if we're ever in that area, I don't know if we ever would be. Maybe You never know. Do a ghost hunt at a truck stop. Never done that before. That would be very interesting. I'm game. We want to encourage you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Ty had written us. And the email says, first, love the show and keep it going. You gals are reigniting an old passion of mine as I used to be an amateur paranormal investigator back in the early 2000s. But I could feel the need to hunt returning. Glad we could do that for him. Awesome. The reason I'm writing is I visited Manitou Springs in 1998 after taking the cog rail train up Pikes Peak. I was only there for a couple hours afterward walking around with other members from my BSA troop. I did not experience anything paranormal, but the place was beautiful. If you've never been to the top of Pikes Peak, you need to go. The view is more than breathtaking. I have been to the top of Pikes Peak, and not only is the view breathtaking, but the lack of oxygen is as well. (laughs) Yes, indeed. I cannot say that I remember much of the details of my visit aside from the beauty due to two main factors. First, it's been over 20 years. Second, I was high on oxygen when I came down from Pikes Peak. During the train ride up, I drank a bottle of water because I was thirsty. This I remember. But apparently doing this and then being up top, I somehow ended up with too much oxygen in my system. Thankfully, I slept it off that night on my way to camp the next day. Goodness. And there is such a thing as high altitude sickness, which I didn't usually get that because I lived in Colorado. But I bet if we went now, I possibly could get that. Very likely. Kelly, I started a little something on the side. You did? A little something something? A little something something I want to share with the (laughs) listeners. I know that a lot of people are big fans of the bonus episode, Ghosts in the Bible, which I did six and a half years ago, probably. Right. Quite a long time ago. And I kept saying, I need to do a follow-up because people are like, oh, I love that so much. I'd love to hear some more. And I just kept putting it on the back burner and putting it on the back burner. And then I got this idea for a podcast name that came to my head called The Ghost in You. And I wasn't sure what we were going to do with it. I was like, well, maybe Kelly and I could do a podcast where it's more off the cuff, us just talking about paranormal stuff. And then COVID happened and I didn't really do anything with it. And then we started basically doing that with Stereo, where we've been hosting our little shows over there on the Stereo app. For those of you who haven't joined us, I encourage you to do that. And we've been putting those up on the Patreon as well. So I'm like, well, we're already doing that. I feel like I'm supposed to do something with this podcast, but I just don't know what. And then I was like, well, you know, there's so much that I could put into ghosts in the Bible with weird stuff that's in the Bible that maybe that's what this podcast is supposed to be. Yep. Digging in quite a bit deeper. So that's what this is. The Ghost in You. It's a solo project that I've been working on, and it is looking at the weird, the wonderful and the terrifying in the Bible. So awesome. And I have a trailer up right now. Episode one should be up shortly. You should be able to find it anywhere that you can get a podcast, except for Apple Podcasts usually takes longer. So if it's something that feeds off of Apple Podcasts, it might take a while, but it's already up on Spotify, CastBox, Podcast Addict, Google Podcasts, all of that stuff. So you can check that out. And I encourage you guys to do that and 
even if you're not a Christian, you might enjoy some of the weird stuff that I talk about. I definitely think the listeners will enjoy this. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank for his one-time donation, Blake Merritt. And then we also want to thank Melody Hoscheck for raising your support. We're going to be moving you under an obelisk tombstone. And then welcome into the cemetery, Brian Jones. We're going to be burying you under a marble tombstone. Michael Dolan and Carly Peralt, you guys are going to be put in chess tombs. And Kirsten Eberhardt, we're going to be putting you in a garden crypt and you will be getting your HGB logo mug in three months. Thank you so much, you guys, for jumping in and supporting History Goes Bump podcast. We really could not create this without your support. And this episode was also brought to you by June's Journey. Make sure to check out The Lost Diaries on whatever podcast catcher you listen to. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. The Diamonds was located in Via Rillo. Via Rillo? What the hell? It's Ridge. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sometimes we make up our own words or names. And I even have my glasses on. What the heck? Clean them (laughs) for once. Just kidding. (laughs) I think the dog farted. Run for your lives. I may get knocked out. It's the nerves of the storm, apparently. In September of... 20,006. <laughs> 20,006. Numbers. My goodness. Numbers. We are way in the future, folks. The investigate. The guy who saw it was actually the brother of the owner, and he claimed that he heard a dragging or growling noise in the hallway as he stood at the funeral. Funeral? <laughs> What's a funeral? <laughs> His brother Kevin was hired to do security after the truck stop closed. Closed? Closed? <laughs> being that they are such a, being that they are such a, we've had a really interesting day with the storm. Yeah. How many times have we paused? Our our house is going through a major car wash. Yeah, and our radio alarm for the weather keeps going off. So.